Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio with me, Joe Moffat. Engage for Success is a not-for-profit movement and we're the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We're setting out to raise awareness uh, by running events through our area networks around the country, as well as our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups, developing research, publishing case studies, and shining a light on great practice. Do visit us at engageforsuccess.org to learn more, where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter and also get your hands on our uh, newly published Employee Engagement Index for the UK, which will give you some really useful benchmark figures uh, to think about when you consider engagement within your own organizations. So as I said, um, I'm Jo Moffat. I'm one of the regular hosts of Engage for Success Radio. But as with everything to do with Engage for Success, we are all volunteers and we all have day jobs uh, alongside the work that we do to support the movement. Uh, my day job is a managing director and founder of Woodread, which is a specialist creative agency where we use the tools, the techniques, and the insight-led approach of the the advertising and marketing world to help our clients create great places to work, high-performing cultures of engaged employees. So today is radio show number 481, and our topic today is how we go about creating breakthrough results in terms of performance and well-being for our people. The argument being that you don't have to make a false choice between performance on the one hand and the well-being of the people who make up your organization on the other. You can achieve both. And to help us navigate that topic and to share with us um, the proof that comes from many years' um, experience of doing just this with his clients, I'm very pleased to welcome today's special guest, Mark Minukas. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, it's, it's good to have you. Uh, good to have you with us. So, thank you for taking the time to join us. And Mark is author of a book called Unfear: Transform Your Organization to Create Breakthrough Results and Well-Being, um, and has a very interesting professional journey that um, I'd like to begin by by exploring, really. Because um, tell us a little bit, Mark, about how where you began uh, your your working life and and what has taken you. To, to the where you have written uh, the book that we're going to use as the sort of um, shape of today's show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess I'm not the typical person to be getting up in you know front of people talking about fear and you know touchy feely stuff. I don't consider myself a, a very touchy feely kind of uh, person. Um, but uh, yeah, my, the arc of my career is. Um, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll just lay out a, a few broad brushes, but I studied engineering in, uh, in college. So, again, not a very touchy-feely sort of thing. I studied systems engineering, which was a mix of electrical and mechanical engineering, and then ocean engineering in, in graduate school. And so uh, from there, I went to, uh, to be an officer in the U.S. Navy, where I was a civil engineer and a, a diver. And so right. you can imagine that's probably not a very touchy-feely sort of group of people to be uh, hanging around. But uh, I got really interested in just the, the, the topic of leadership and how you create really effective, uh, you know, teams and organizations that, that achieve 
uh, great results. And I saw in the Navy some great examples of leadership, but also, you know, maybe, you know, not so great examples of, of leadership there in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, mm-hmm. I completely shifted gears and went into management consulting where I uh, learned all about lean manufacturing um, mm-hmm. from former Toyota executives. So I, I became someone who was really big into, um, you know, creating uh, high-performing organizations that were based on, on lean or the Toyota principles. And yeah, that was uh, McKinsey and Company, which is a large consulting firm. Um, mm-hmm. Spent about eight years at McKinsey, and from there went to uh, really shift the gears again, another team in my life, um, and had a couple of uh, failed uh, companies. I, I had a, a tech startup in particular that I co-founded that um, uh, didn't work out really well, but that was a great experience for me because it taught me that I could fail and you know everything's okay and you know the world doesn't collapse. Uh, yep. From that failure, I, I actually rediscovered my love for consulting and got back into it uh, mm-hmm. with the lens of, of trying to really understand what what creates deep, sustainable transformation in organizations. Going back to my time at McKinsey, I was always amazed at how uh, you know hard it was to create real sustainable transformations in, in organizations. I would come back to clients after 6 to 12 months and mm-hmm. see that all these brilliant plans that these McKinsey consultants had uh, never really stuck in these clients. And I was starting to become more aware of you know, how we're, we were creating this, you know, this culture of fear in organizations and how that was undermining a lot of the results that we were trying to create. And so for the last um, 10 years, I've really dedicated my life and this is my life's passion now to really help organizations achieve both performance, but also employee well-being. And I've um, yeah. you firmly believe that you can do both, but you really have to create the conditions for change in the right way. Right, and that's really what we want to explore um, next, I think. So it's interesting, though, isn't it? I mean, isn't it? Isn't this a proverbial problem of management consultancies is, is actually how often things don't stick, how often things are not sustainable, how it's a kind of almost a merry-go-round of change, um, that then leads to something else that leads to something else and um it's 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 a it's a perennial yeah. challenge isn't it yeah and i think it's a management challenge more broadly even uh, where mm-hmm. i think there's just a lot of uh, short term thinking in modern organizations today where there's just a real strong push for uh, managers to create results in the near term, but they do so at the expense of longer term results. And so that right. you know, creates a merry-go-round. And I think management consultants are just part of that ecosystem, but they're, they're drinking mm. from the same waters that a lot of managers are drinking. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so we're going to talk then um, about the book that, that, that you have written uh, with, your, with your co-author, Gaurav Bhatnagar, and it is called Unfair, transform your organization to create breakthrough results and well quite helpful if we kind of deconstructed that that title and i'd like to come back to the unfair bit second uh, because i think that's really interesting and you've you've already made reference to that transform your organization to create breakthrough results and well-being um often the perception is that it's kind of one or the other um, you're either going to go all out for performance and results at all costs, or you're going to be, and I'm going to quote back at you the words you started off the, this, this, this show with, touchy-feely, you know, well-being. Oh, that's over at the mm-hmm. touchy-feely yeah. end of the spectrum. So tell us, 
Exactly. Tell us, Mark, if you would, why why that is a, a you know an incorrect choice and it's not an either or, and, and how you came to that judgment. Yeah, I mean, part of it's just based on my my lived experience in life. I started off, you know, earlier in my career in the Navy, believing that you really had to push yourself and other people really hard in order to create results and performance. Mm-hmm. And I learned that in you know the managing the high paced uh, management consulting world. Um, but I also saw, you know, how there was often a, a counterpoint, which is, well, you know, pushing people too hard causes them to, you know, break or there's too much stress in the organization and that leads to poor results longer term. So we actually need to protect people um, and we need to make sure that people don't experience bad or, you know, feelings or stress in the workplace in order to get people to perform. And I've seen that both, um, approaches are actually ineffective. They're based on faulty assumptions about what it means to create performance and well-being or what the underpinnings of performance and well-being are. And so a lot of what we do in our consulting practice and what we try to address in this book is to help leaders understand that they might be stuck in this false dichotomy and how to get out of it. Right. And and which... Which is the preferred choice that you think most most leaders default to? Is it is it the the results trumps well being? I actually think it really depends on industry and and personalities as well. And, and mm-hmm. you know, so for instance, in you know financial industry or the consulting industry or any like real high paced industry, you'll see a lot of. Um, the push for performance over the the short term. Um, if you know, I look at nonprofits and government agencies, I often see the the reverse. But again, that's a very simplistic view because I think if you look at different levels in the organization or different teams across an organization, they may be stuck in one or or both of those patterns. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and and either right. an example, you may see the the senior executives. Yeah, sorry. No, no, go on, carry on. I was going to say that sometimes, for example, in organizations, you may see the more senior leaders pushing for results because they're feeling the pressure from the board or stockholders. Um, and, you know, so they're, they're driving for more of the short-term results where some of the employees, perhaps the unions, may be saying, look, we need to protect people and we need to create a, a, an environment that's you know, more focused on the well-being of individuals. But your your pitch, Mark, would be that um, an, um, it's an, un, an unreasonable emphasis on one or the other, or a belief that it can be it has to be an either or. Neither of those are, are sustainable in the longer term. They're all examples, really, of the sort of the short term thinking that you were touching on at the start. Exactly. They're based on just a false assumption that it has to be either or. And we believe that there's a there's sort of a third way that, that leaders could go that incorporates okay. the best intentions of, of both of those worldviews, but okay. avoids the, the pitfalls. All right. So let's let's talk a little bit then about this third way, which I'm I'm imagining then is where where the sec, where the part of the title unfair comes from. It's an interesting word, isn't it? It's not a it's not a usual word. Unfair. T- tell us what we mean by that and why that is so important, you think? Yeah, it's important because fear or our relationship to fear tends to sit at the, the roots 
of one of those two worldviews, either pushing people to perform or trying to protect people. And the game isn't to get rid of fear. This is either not to use fear or to get rid of fear. It's to change your relationship to fear. And so we okay. need to come up with a new what word because it wasn't fearless. What does that mean? Right explain, yeah. explain what that means then. How do I, how do I, how might my relationship with fear be and how do I go about changing it? Yeah, I mean, we can get quite, you know, detailed here, but, you know, to keep it um, at least high level to, to start, really, there's, um, you know, we're helping leaders become aware of how fear, an unexamined relationship with fear is driving one or, or both of those, those ineffective patterns, either using fear to generate results or, or, you know, avoiding fear. And by becoming more aware of how fear may be driving your particular beliefs and your, your patterns of behavior, mm-hmm. uh, we can see fear as a cue for learning and growth. So it becomes a real inside-out process is what we describe it as, where leaders really examine the beliefs that they have about themselves and about how they mm-hmm. should lead. And usually fear, you know, fear and both, you know, our needs, met and unmet needs, um, you know, drive a lot of, of how we behave in the world. And so it's becoming aware of how fear is, is driving us. And rather than being reactive to the fears that we experience, bring more mindfulness really um, to um, those experiences and getting people to a point of choice where they can choose to be more effective rather than fall back into these um, unexamined or just reactive patterns. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in your book, um, you, you talk about how you can create breakthrough results and well-being, and you, you've t- touched on this need to change our relationship with fear. Um, is that something that has to be done on an individual level? Um, so if we think about an executive team, at, at a individ- each individual executive level within that team or, or, or what? How do you, where do you begin with, 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 with this sort of thinking? Yeah, this is another example where I, I think it's both and. There's actually three levels that this, this needs to happen mm-hmm. at. And, you know, they, they, I think there's a preferred sequence, but they're really kind of happening all, all in parallel and at once. One is at the individual level, the leader. I think each leader has to show up and really um, examine how they're, they're, um, how they're showing up as a leader, you know, what's driving their behavior. And the second mm-hmm. level is the, the level of the relationships uh, or, you know, the team level. So how do we communicate with each other? Do we have effective, difficult conversations or do we tend to have them in a very aggressive way uh, or a dominant way or do we tend to avoid those, those difficult conversations? And how effective are we at building trust with, with each other? Mm-hmm. Um, and creating psychological safety. And then the third level is at the, the level of the, the organization. So this is where a lot of interventions tend to happen um, in the organizational world in terms of processes and policies and incentives, um, communication, all that stuff. So that, that needs to be there as well. And what we see as being a really effective path is having um, leaders start with themselves. And once they are showing up more effectively as leaders, working on the level of teams and communication and then working on the organizational level. And we call right. that the inside-out transformation. Right. Interesting. So I said at the beginning that my, my day job is to run 
uh, Woodread, which is a creative agency, and our strap line is Inside Out Thinking for Brands. Um, slightly different Beautiful. to your Inside Out Thinking, I think, yeah. but our Inside Out uh-huh. Thinking is that we use the power of your brand, which is often used externally to engage consumers and customers, um, but we use that and the techniques and the insights of the advertising and marketing world to engage your people. Um, so it's, a, it's um, it, interesting, but slightly different. <laughs> Um, but uh, there yeah. you go. Yeah, and when you say engage your people, you mean within the organization? Yes, yeah. yes, indeed. Yes, yeah. indeed. Good. It's employee engagement. So it's interesting. So I, I, if, we, if we begin then with the, with the leader as an individual, and then I guess what you're describing then is the sort of the team dynamics within the, within the leadership cohort, yeah. Um, presumably yeah. there's some sort of diagnostic um, understanding that you begin with in in this in this way mm-hmm. yeah there is yeah step one you know we describe a you know learning process that moves from awareness to choice to practice and so step mm-hmm. one is helping people become aware of what's going on for themselves as individuals and what's going on with team dynamics and what's going on in the organization so that initial diagnostic becomes an important part of building that awareness but it's not externally driven necessarily. We don't come in and say, here's the answer. You know, mm-hmm. we, we actually help people come to their own conclusions. You know, we'll share data and insights from either 360 tools or interviews and focus groups and other, other ways of, um, you know, understanding the dynamics there in the organization. But we, we yeah. play that back to leaders and, and they come to their own conclusions, which is an important element in you now creating the choice which leads Rob, to yes. to practice a new way of being yeah 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 no that makes sense so it's interesting i, I guess you make you use the word trust you talked about building trust within the team and i mean that's a massive a massive thing isn't it not just within mm. the exec team but leaders and managers trusting their people and their people trusting each other that sort of peer-to-peer trust uh it, it's sort of at the root of, of everything, isn't it? And I, I suppose just, just listening to what you're talking about and thinking about this word fear, very often we hear about organizations yeah. where there is, there's been a breakdown of trust or uh, particularly in the new, increasingly uh, new world of hybrid working, um, the resistance yeah. to that because managers don't trust their people. I don't know what they're doing because I can't see them anymore. You know, that, that kind of sense. Um, and, and if we think about your word fear, um, it, it's almost I'm frightened. Are you, are you basically saying that people could be frightened to trust their colleagues, frightened to trust their people and frightened to give people autonomy and frightened to empower people? Um, is that, is that, is that um, sort of what you're talking about, Mark, as well? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I I think fear, our experience with fear, um, does sit at the root of a lot of um, trust issues for individuals and mm-hmm. in, in organizations. And I think that's why it's important to start at the individual level before working on trust at the team level or the organizational level, because people have to become aware of you know, what are some of their, their deeper fears? And a lot of these, you know, go back to our experiences in life and just how we identify ourselves and 
you know, who, who we think of ourselves. Um, and, you know, that, that does play into how we relate to other people. So, mm-hmm. and again, it's not a matter of getting rid of fear as well. I mean, I think that's a really important thing. I want to oh, make sure okay. you listeners a, uh, walk okay. away with that. It's, this isn't a matter explain, of being Explain what you mean. Explain yeah. that a little bit more, because I think you're right. I, I think it's easy to say, oh, get rid of fear. Stop being frightened of this. Um, so tell us what you mean yeah. then about how how do I learn to him? Are you actually suggesting we should embrace fear and use it as, a, as yeah. in a powerful way? Yeah, use it in a powerful way. Absolutely, embracing it, and that's you know that's sort of the nature of you know shifting our relationship to fear. So I can speak to an example in my own life where you know growing up, I I developed this belief that I needed to win and be better than other people in order to be successful in the world. Mm-hmm. So now imagine, you know, fast forward um, a number of years and you know, younger Mark grows into an older Mark and I'm now in a leadership position and somebody is challenging my uh, authority or my competence or, you know, let's extend it to the, maybe the, the remote work situation where I now have someone on my team who's I now don't have full control over because I can't see them every day. That's actually triggering my sense of identity. Uh, of being this competent leader who, you know, is, um, yeah, knows, knows, has all the answers. And, you know, that's because that's how I believe that I'm, I'll be successful in life is I have the answers and that's what leads me to be better than other people and to be successful. And so if I don't notice that, uh, that trigger for myself, and then I end up being reactive in all these situations and it's just sort of a, becomes a blind spot. And so I'm not able to effectively work with my team and communicate effectively and ask for the things that, that I need, but also be open and, and trust other people if I can't look inside and understand what's driving me. And so it's not a matter of not fearing. It's about, you know, just understanding, oh, that's interesting. I'm, I'm experiencing some fear here, which is just, a, you know, some perceived threat. What might that threat be um, providing insight into. And oftentimes, if it's not a physical threat, we're not talking about physical threats here, we're talking about emotional threats, which is really just a threat to our ego, to our sense of self, or, you know, the sense of, of who we are as a person and what it takes for us to succeed in the world. Yeah. And by bringing more mindfulness, just more awareness to some of those patterns and some of those things that, that feel threatening, we can show mm-hmm. up in just a very dramatically different way we can show up as a learner just with a lot more openness and curiosity about ourselves and other people which creates all these openings to be a more effective leader and so Mm -hmm. that's the idea but it's not about getting rid of fear it's about saying hey let me embrace that fear as a cue for learning and growth imagine if i was to do that if everyone on your team was to do that if a whole organization was to really engage um, those signals that they experience every day in a different way what's possible then yeah, what becomes possible. And and how about then the fact that fear will, and this is in real, I'm, talk, you know, I'm doing this in really basic Janet and John terms here, Mark, but, you mm-hmm. know, fear yeah. will trigger in me fight and flight responses. And those fight and flight mm-hmm. responses may well mean that I can't collaborate very well. I can't focus on things. I can't concentrate because I've shifted into a fight and flight response to that fear are you talking about by having a better relationship with fear and a better understanding of how we might respond that we then become better able to actually 
deal with it too, that we, we, we can overcome some of those innate hardwired responses that are going to come about as a result of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the fight and flight response is innate. You know, the, the, the capacity to get into those states is hardwired, but it's not inevitable that in any circumstance in your life, particularly when there's no physical threat involved, that you have to get stuck in those, those states. So, okay. yeah, this is about how do we practice, how do we learn to understand the signals, even just the signals that our body is telling us earlier in that whole reactive cycle so rather than just falling back into these hardwired habitual patterns, mm-hmm. um, we can show up with more curiosity, more choice, and therefore do things that are more effective, even when we're feeling challenged in, in a particular situation. So it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's really trying to get, you know, break that fight or flight cycle earlier so we, uh-huh. can, we can just be more creative in the moment. Yeah? I get you. No, I get it. It's interesting. And, and so you, you see a difference and you, you have, have seen, because clearly this book that you, you've written has been written from experience over, over you know, a couple of decades of seeing this stuff mm-hmm. make a difference. But you, what you're saying is that actually there is a, 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 there is a, manageable, a different response that we can better manage um, to emotional threat rather than physical threat, you know, the saber-toothed tiger jumping out of the, out of the savannah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah, which isn't necessarily, you know, that's, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, work out there that, that talks about how you, you know, break out of that cycle. What we're trying to do is say, hey, how do you bring that now more at scale in the context mm. of, an organization. And so one thing, just to get back to maybe an earlier point that we were talking about as well is um, there's an idea we work with, uh, which is organizations don't transform, people do. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we kind of work at the organizational level. We try to change policies and processes and all that. But really what we're trying to get across is that um, if you want to change the organization, you have to change the people. Or the people have to choose for themselves to change and they have to develop the skills to, to show up in a different way and it's more effective. And so mm-hmm. when you can get a critical mass of people um, thinking in different ways and relating to their fears in different ways and showing up more as a, as a learner and you know, someone who's at more of a point of choice and creativity rather than reactivity, then amazing things can become possible in an organization. And that's when you start to break out of that di- dichotomy of, um, either using fear to generate results or trying to protect people from experiencing negative emotions. Mm. Right? Fear is just an emotion. Uh, mm. It's neither good or bad. But if you can see mm-hmm. it as something that could be a cue for learning and growth and do that at scale in an organization, that's when the magic happens. Yeah. No, I can understand that. And I think it, it's, it's, it requires of leadership teams um, a degree, a, a considerable degree of emotional intelligence, doesn't it? It's just part of that whole understanding yourself um, library of, of skills that, that mm-hmm. demands a maturity in, 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 a, in an individual and in a team, doesn't it, to actually be willing and, all, and actually brave enough to be honest about things. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Yes, yeah, sort of the, the challenge of leadership is, is many leaders um, get promoted because they have the answers. 
right? You're promoted, you're put into a spot because you've got the pattern recognition and you know just what to do in this situation. But it really, in order to unfear yourself and a leadership team and, and organizations, you really have to show up and be quite comfortable saying, look, I don't know, or I'm working yeah. through it, or I feel challenged, yeah. Uh, yeah. or I, you know, I'm really curious what you have to say about it, which is hard for a lot of leaders. And I think Absolutely. that's why, uh, you know, we can talk about it here, but the, the practice of this is quite, quite difficult. Yeah, so, so let, let's, let's finish. We've got just, just over a minute and a half left, um, Mark. We, we started at the beginning about the, the sort of never-ending merry-go-round of how do you make things stick? How do you make change sustainable? Um, if, if, if organ, you know, and, and that point you've just made about organizations don't transform, people do. So how, how, how have you seen this play out in the real world where, where that change people changing and transforming has truly become uh, sustainable and, and delivered, delivered the results that, that you'd, you'd hope to see. Are you able to share any practical examples of that or is it, is it difficult to do that because, because you often work with, you know, in a kind of confidential manner? I don't, I don't mind if you say you yeah, can't. Yeah, I don't know if I could share the, the names of our clients, but I can no. tell you that yeah, I mean, really the essence of it is how do you create a critical mass of leaders? And this isn't just formal leaders, the senior leaders, but also the informal leaders, the troublemakers in the organization, the people who are agitating for change. How do you get them to um, really show up with a lot of curiosity for, you know, within themselves about how they're showing up and, and start to show up differently in front of their colleagues? How do you get them to show up and, and really talk about what matters in a way that's not triggering, that where they can really talk about what matters uh, with a high degree of emotional intelligence and, and openness and, and curiosity for what's going on for other people? Once you can get a critical mass of, of people in an organization showing up in that way, it really does start to create a, chain, a whole chain reaction across the, the broader organization. And so what do you see? You see you know, teams that leadership teams that are much more open and transparent about what's going on in the organization. They're willing to share uh, challenging news and, and trust that people can accept it. You see teams um, that are much better at solving problems and working across silos and removing waste and um, you know, just putting in place a lot of tools and techniques that help them surface and solve little and big issues every single day and every single week, which, you know, ultimately um, drops to the bottom line. You see teams of people who are much more engaged and employee satisfaction goes up. And so this is part of the game that we're, we're talking about. And so without sharing any names of my clients, um, you know, this is what um, many of them are doing. And it takes, takes a lot yeah. of effort and it takes a lot of, you know, senior leadership support, but it also takes real commitment with people in the organization. Yeah. But and that's a lot that, of energy too. It's not. Yeah. 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 It, and it's not short term. It is for the long term. It is for the long haul because yeah. the results yeah. are for the long haul and sustainable. Uh, we've run right out of time, Mark. Yeah. So I'm afraid I'm going to have to call call an end there. But thank you very much for listening <laughs> to Engage with Success Radio. Thank you to today's special guest, Mark Minukas, author of Unfear: Transform Your Organization to Create Great to create breakthrough results and well-being. And don't forget, you can download or stream any of the great shows from our archive at any time. Just visit engagewithsuccess.org where you can also get, in, get involved with the movement. So thank you very much. Thank you again, Mark, for joining us. Uh, thank you and goodbye. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice. 
for people who believe there's a better way to work. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.